Hey, we got an extra 24 grand. Why don't we make hidden compartments with guns and ammo? <laughs> like it, doesn't, it doesn't exist. I'm glad this is on the recording. I'll probably end up cutting it out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It'll be part of the director's cut. The director's cut. Someone please pray for us. Thank you. Brendan. Dear Lord, uh, I just thank you for um, us getting to meet together Wednesdays and that um, I just pray we'd never take it for granted. Um, we don't realize how lucky we are, people in Ireland getting arrested, um, Canada, London, wherever else is happening. I just pray that we never take it for granted that um, we just um, be lifting each other up and um, getting closer to each other and with you. Uh, I just pray for um, the Mexico training starting that um, you know we'd all be able to go to and that um, the trip would not get canceled and that... Um, the plans would go according. I just pray for uh, the lesson tonight that um, we'd be listening and um, taking it to heart, open ears. Um, this episode is really important, and um, we need to use life to the best of our abilities. Um, I just pray that uh, we have a great rest of the week. Uh, keep having nice weather. Just my prayer. Amen. Amen. So our series, Redeeming the Time. Somebody give me a quick recap. What are some of the big highlights that you remember over the last, well, we've had four messages. This is going to be message number five on this one. Anybody? Oh yeah, and of course Andy. Of course the spotlight needs to be put on Andy. <laughs> so redeeming the time. What can you remember? Let's just do a quick review. It's been a few weeks since we've talked about it, but what can you remember? What are some of the highlights? Yeah, eat them. Yes, the work of the Lord, which we're going to talk about, which comprises of discipleship and witnessing. Yes, evangelism and discipleship, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight as well. What else stands out to you as you think about over the past several weeks? Samuel. How we're divinely designed. Yes. Psalm 139 really hit me when we talked about it. Yeah. But just how much, well, not necessarily time, but how much effort and care God actually put into us and how much of a purpose we have. Yeah. Yep, yep, the God has you alive right now in human history on purpose, and he didn't make a mistake. The place that he has you, the family that he has you in, the gifts that you have, the things that you are great at, the things that you are absolutely terrible at, I mean, all that, God had that in his heart and in his mind for a reason. And a lot of people don't even think about that. Um, but there's something that, uh, there's a lot of wisdom there if we would just take some time to really think about it. What else? What does it mean to redeem the time with our verse? What does that mean? What does it mean to redeem the time? Give me a good concept of what that means. Redeem the time. Yes? Like, use your time wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? Anything else off that? Yeah. Like, not being wasteful of the time that you have. Yeah. The time that you've been given is a gift given to you by God, and how do you use it? I think growing up, you know, when I look back, there's a lot of things I was very foolish in doing that I just wasted the time the guy gave me. I spent it on me. I spent it on things that I wanted to do rather than even considering, God, what do you want me to do with the time that you've given me? You've given me breath in my body. You've given me the ability to do certain things. What am I doing? You know, that's one of the things that when I look back over it, really led into my decision to stop doing certain things and start doing other things in my life. Like, it's not bad or evil to play basketball. I love basketball, but it took up so much time and energy and I felt like, how could God be honored more? And, and I really felt 
that if I were to stop doing basketball and start getting into more music stuff, that God could use that more, the potential for God to use that in other people, to affect other people, to do other things. It was just greater. And so that's what led me down that direction. And thankfully, even because of that decision, you know, I ran into Andy. You know, and then God touched his life, um, and he got saved as a result, and he's with us today, like it or not. Um, and, <laughs> you know, God loves him too. Um, but it's those things that you don't really realize when you're looking over it and you're, you're considering the time that God's given you. Your life is really not yours. It really isn't. It's God's, and he's given it to you, so how are you going to be using that from this point forward if you've never considered that before? So redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. So we talked about divinely designed by God. We already talked about that, that you were made for a mission. And that mission involves evangelism, which we spent the last uh, couple weeks on. And then we did some role playing a little bit. And then we also talked about discipleship. And that's what we're going to talk about again. Now, we've already mentioned this a little bit in our first made for a mission. But I want to look at this from a different perspective. These things are things that we've either already talked about or we've talked about within the recent past. I know even during... Uh, COVID, when we were Zooming it, um, we talked about the purpose with the four goals of discipleship. So we're going to talk about that. But I really want to spend time on this last point. So we're going to run through this just to, to, to refresh and to make sure that we're all on the same page with this. But I really want to spend some time, especially on our last point. So made for a mission, discipleship. Now, discipleship, this definition, we covered this in COVID. And I really, I, I like this definition. I took a couple different things that we've done over the years, that we've done as a church with a few of these scriptures. Scriptures, and I really threw it all together with this. And so when you look at discipleship at a very broad perspective, it's this definition. The manner through which a believer is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit their will to the Lord in all things. So in order to be a disciple, you first have to be a believer. You have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never come to the point in your life where you have trusted the Lord as your Savior, that you know you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, you cannot be a disciple. That is the bare minimum. In fact, the biblical definition of a Christian is not... It's, it's, it's actually a disciple first. When you look at the first time that the word uh, Christian is used in the Bible, in Acts chapter 11, it's with the church in Antioch. And it says, And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So we live in a culture, and we know this, and we've said this, where you have Christians, and then Christians that are super serious are disciples. And that doesn't exist from a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, the moment that you're born again, it is expected by God that you become a disciple, which means that your life now starts to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which means you have to go... And the character and characteristics of Jesus now incorporate into your life. And God knows it takes time. Because it's not like you wake up one day and you're like, you look in the mirror and you're like, hey, I'm Jesus. Like it doesn't, that'd be weird. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. God knows that, that we are flawed human beings. He knows that we are but dust, the Bible says. And it takes time. And so he's very patient. He's very kind. But he will do certain things. And sometimes he'll be harder in your life through you know, various events, maybe stupid decisions you've made through things that happen in, in your local church. You know, like even when you guys do VBS, you know, there's pressure, there's accountability put on you because you're teaching the Bible to little kids. And so you're going to make mistakes, and so you can learn from that. Uh, going to Mexico, I mean, it's a privilege to be able to go to Mexico. So there's standards that are higher. So, you know, I, I don't expect someone just to be able to go to Mexico who hasn't been attending our church for the past year. It doesn't work like that. And so there's certain things of accountability that God expects you to be responsible with your life and with the mission that he's given you to be a better disciple so that way you can serve him better and better and better. 
And this takes time, and it's called sanctification, to be sanctified, learning how to be set apart so that way God can use you. So it's when that believer is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit their will to the Lord in all things, and that is not an easy thing to do. There are things in my life that are very difficult for me to submit to God's authority. It's normal. We struggle, but it's a process. So as long as you're moving forward with the Lord, and even in things in my life where I'm, I'm honest with God, and I'm saying, God, this is very hard for me. Like, I, I don't want to give this over to you. I really struggle with this, but I know that you gave me my life, and it belongs to you, so help me with my hard attitude. That type of honesty will always please God. So God wants you to be a fisher of men. He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to be involved in the mission that He's given you. But that is something that you have to willfully give to God. And so that's what it means to be a disciple. Discipleship is this manner through which we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit our will to God in all things. And so as we learn to do that, we start to get involved with the plan. Now the plan of discipleship, that's our first point here. The plan, the plan of discipleship, which we've covered in great detail in messages in the past, but John 17 is the place where it outlines this whole discipleship plan that was in the heart and mind of God. And I got these verses up on our screen for us so we can take a look at them. But the plan is very simple. It's very, very simple. The first step is to evangelize or to witness. And we see this in John 17.6. Where Jesus says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So manifesting God's name. This world has a very mixed up, misconstrued, frankly just wrong understanding of who God is. They really do. I firmly believe that if this world really knew who the God of the Bible is, they would fall in love with him. Because there is no one that has loved us as a humanity, as a, as a human race, more than God. And there's no one that's proven it greater than God. And so it's our responsibility to correct people's misconceptions. And so this is where evangelism can get kind of awkward because that means you're going to be in, in certain conversations where it can be more confrontative, where you can get into arguments with people. But the reality is, is that when Jesus was here, this is what he did. I mean, when he came, he had conversations with people. He began his ministry not with his disciples. When after he was baptized and then he went out into the wilderness and then he came back and he began his ministry, he would go into towns and he would start having conversations with people. So it doesn't really matter where you're at in your walk with God. If you are saved and you know things about God and God has taught you stuff, you can communicate that to other people. And so don't be afraid to have spiritual conversations with people. I think sometimes you won't grow until you start having conversations with people. There's a lot of things that start to make sense in your own mind when you start to engage people with the reality of God. Because then they have questions that make sense and questions that may not make sense. But then you have to answer that. And then it causes you to get into the Word and understand who God is better to make Him clear, to manifest God's name. That's what Jesus did, and He began His ministry that way. And He got His disciples that way, and He taught His disciples to do the exact same thing. So that leads us to point number two, and that is to edify or disciple. John 17, 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, the words of God which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So not only did Jesus give them the word of God, but they received the word of God and assurance. They have known surely, they knew 100% that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, that he was the one that they were waiting for, 
They knew beyond any shadow of any doubt that he was the Messiah, which is what gave them the boldness to go out and to minister to people and to have conversations with other people and to go in to do this work. And so this is what happens in discipleship. When you get involved with discipleship, the number one thing for you is to learn how to walk with God. And so as you open up the Bible together and you read the Word of God together and you study the Word of God together through the discipleship material, you will end up being engaged with certain things. God's going to confront you with truth that now you have to respond to. There's a lot of us that... Uh, even a lot of people in our church that are afraid to get discipled because they're afraid that when they open up the book and they are confronted with the truth of God's word, it, it will require them to change. And the truth is, yes, it will. That's the whole point. When you are in the Bible daily, when you are reading it, when you're memorizing it, when you're challenged by the person discipling you, there are certain things in your life that have to go because last time I checked, I'm not completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. There's things in my life that I am not I am not okay with. There are certain things that God still knows He's got to work out of me, that He still wants to work into me so He can be glorified better. So the more I'm in the Bible, the more He reminds me of those things or teaches me those things. And then I have to make a choice. Am I going to hold on to that aspect of who I am or am I going to let that go? So this is the edification, the building up of who God wants you to be as the temple of the Holy Ghost and to really be that disciple, that person that is following the example of Jesus Christ. So that's what happens in discipleship. It's the building up. And I've gone into places. In fact, I used to work a reconstruction job that I had to go into places and, and they would have fire damage and they would have water damage and they had all sorts of stuff. And I was usually one of the first people in. And I remember, man, the first time that I worked on this one job, some of you may have heard this already, but I, I, before I started this job, there was this, this, this one house in downtown Canton that, uh, I mean, it was a wreck. It was boarded up all winter. Uh, people had broken into this house and they were, I mean, partying and doing all sorts of junk in there. And here I come in during the spring, beginning of summer, and my boss tells me, all right, so your job is you're supposed to go in here and you need to clean out this house completely. So I walk in and I'm not kidding you, you've got hard liquor bottles that are like up to my knees throughout the entire first floor. You have a bathroom that has been used and not flushed in months. You have refrigerators that have never been opened in six to eight months with flies that are about the size of horse flies, but they're just regular flies. And I mean, you'd find drug paraphernalia everywhere. Like we found so much stuff. And so we had to go in there and just drag everything out. And we had to go and dump it in a dumpster. And then once that was done, he moved me to another job. And he's like, all right, so this place had smoke damage. So now we need to go in and we need to tear out all these walls because now these walls have smoke in them. And so we need to tear it all out. We need to put a machine in to get all the smoke out. And we're going to put up new drywall and we're going to do all this stuff. So I was usually one of the first guys in there. And I'm telling you, it's messy. It's messy. It takes time to put something in order the way it needs to be in order to make it livable. Well, you think about it when you get saved and there's a whole bunch of junk that's inside your life, the Holy Spirit goes in. He starts to clean house. There's certain things that go away right away. There's other things that are going to take time because He's going to get to it a little bit later. But this is what discipleship does. It teaches you how to walk with God, how to be obedient to God, how to be built up into that house that will truly honor and to glorify Him. And then point number three, and that is to engage. Engage, or the commission. So after you are equipped and you are prepared, then God sends you out. And he did this with his disciples. As thou hast sent me into the world, he's talking to God the Father, even so have I also sent them into the world. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So it wasn't enough for them just to know the information and to have the experience. They had to go out and they had to do it. 
And the things that Jesus did is what his disciples did. And those disciples would then train their disciples. And their disciples would train their disciples down all through history, all the way to us today. And so that is the plan. And it is the only way we can truly reach the world. And that is what the heartbeat of our church is. So maybe you've never known that, or maybe you've grown up and you've never really connected all those dots. That is what we do. And as you guys being in high school, um, there is no reason why you guys cannot be good disciples now to learn how to evangelize, to be built up in order to glorify God and to engage with people and to really get involved in the work of the Lord, evangelizing and discipling right now. And if you guys do that, man, you're going to be light years ahead and our church will be better for it in the future. Because we want to go places. Some of you guys, we want to send you out. We want you to be missionaries in other countries. We want you to be pastors of other churches. Some of you guys might even be the pastor of this church at some point. Who knows? But the whole point is that we need to start doing this kind of stuff in order for God to prove who He wants to be uh, His leaders, both here and elsewhere all around the world. And we don't stop until God calls us home, whether it's through our death or whether He comes and gets us through the rapture. So that's the plan. It's a good plan. It's a biblical plan. It's the plan that Jesus followed. It's our plan as a church, and that is discipleship. And so you need to get in on it. All right, so that's the plan. Now let's talk about the purpose. So that's the plan. Now let's talk about the purpose. So the purpose of this particular plan. There are four goals when it comes to discipleship. If you do discipleship correctly, four things will happen in your life. Four things will happen in your life. And if any one of these four things do not happen in your life, you have not been properly discipled. This is always a good measuring stick for me with my disciples. I will occasionally revisit these things and and really evaluate my life reevaluate their life and try to see if there's something that maybe I'm not doing right as a discipler or something that they're not being obedient in. But these four things will happen in the life of a true disciple. So the first thing is, is that they will be established in the Bible. You will know the Bible better. But it's more than just information. It becomes a steady diet. You want more of it. And you let the Bible have more of you. You need to really think about that statement. You want more of the Bible, but you let the Bible have more of you. It's something that's part of your life. If you were to misplace your Bible for three days, you would be hurting. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. If there are weeks that you put your Bible down after Sunday or after Wednesday and you don't touch it ever again, you are not a disciple. You can't be. You have to have a regular diet of the Bible. Like it's, it's, it's as much as breathing air or, or eating breakfast in the morning or, or just anything. Anything that you would need on a daily basis. Like You need the Bible. And, and the reason why I need the Bible when I evaluate this, I need the Bible because I'm already full of my own thoughts and my own ideas. I need to know what God has to say. Because hearing what God has to say, He makes things clear every time. Every time. And I find that God's ways are way better than mine on pretty much everything. You know, it's just everything. (laughs) His ways are so much better than mine. And He has given me everything that I need in order to live properly. So I need the Bible and I need more of it in my life. So you need to be established in the Bible. The Bible needs to be established in you. So that's the first thing that will happen. The second thing is, is that you will be established in the fellowship with other believers. They will be your closest friends. And I'm not talking about other people that call themselves Christians. I'm not talking about that. Because there are some people that are Christians that are just bad friends. They're bad influences on you. 
I'm talking about people that love God. I'm talking about people that they can't get enough of God's Word. They want to walk with God. They want to serve God. That they, The whole course of their life is one that is completely directed by when I stand before God and He sees me face to face, I know that I have done everything that He's called me to do. Those kind of people. They're few and they're rare, but you find them and you hold on to them. And you have deep fellowship with them. When you are discipled, that will start to happen. Other friends that don't edify you as much, you just don't spend time around them as much as others. I'm not saying cut connections completely. That's ridiculous. How can you reach the lost world if you're never connected to the lost world in some way, shape, or form? But the problem is people use that as an excuse to hold on to certain sins in their life. And that's why they maintain those connections with lost people. Because it's a way for their flesh to continue to be exercised in those things. So you have to be careful. Be connected to the world for ministry purposes only. I mean, really, if you want to look at it, if you want to draw a hard line, that's a good line to draw. But when it comes to people in your life that are your closest friends, these are people that really want to follow God. That they love God and they want to give their lives to the Lord. The third thing that's going to happen is that you're established in your local church. That church is not just some place that you know you're supposed to go, and when you don't show up, you feel guilty about it. I'm not talking about that. That's religion. We're not about that. I'm talking about you know that you need to be at church for your spiritual well-being and your spiritual health. Attendance is something that a lot of people say, well, man, they're super legalistic about it. No, the reality is, and we're going to look at this in the next part of our series, we were made to not be alone. We were made to be together. And the thing that, that kills me and that I hate about all this pandemic crap and the stuff that's unfolded in our world today, and even the, some of the stuff we've been talking about with what's happening in Ireland and England and Canada and other places in the world where they are, are, are literally arresting people for assembling together, is that we were made to be together. So this is not the first pandemic in history that's ever unfolded, and I'm not saying be stupid. But early on, we had no idea but knowing what we know now, there's no reason why people should not be face-to-face -to -face together. We need to be face-to-face -to -face together. We were not made to function alone. We cannot, we cannot properly fulfill God's mission for us as a church, as individuals, without being together. There's something about being face-to-face -face with one another, with opening the Bible together, being challenged on stuff, that we need this. And people that have stopped coming to church, even if it's for good reasons over the past year, they're hurting. They may not realize it, but they are sick because they haven't been here. You can't expect to be disconnected from a local body and to be okay for a long period of time. It's impossible. You, you just can't do it. It's just, it. It makes no sense. There's a lot of other examples that I could give, but I, I need to move on. So you need to be a part of the local church. Uh, the reason why I'm confident in what God wants me to do today is because of my participation in my local church. I would have no clue and it would just be up to my own desires and my own ideas about, well, maybe God wants me to do this. No, I know for sure because of my local church. Even on other things. I've had, there's plenty of testimonies of other people that don't work for a church that because of their local church, they have firm direction about their, their secular profession. So participating in your local church will help you tremendously and you need it. It's, it's absolutely critical. And you cannot be a faithful Christian without being part of a local church. And then lastly, discipleship will establish you in the work of the Lord. We've already talked about that. That's the evangelizing, that's the edifying, that's the witnessing and the discipling, and then engaging the lost world and winning people to the Lord and then discipling them. So that's the work the Lord did. That's the work He's given us. And 2 Timothy 2.2 is the best verse for that. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
So these two points are things that we are well versed in. As a church, I feel like we are extremely versed in these things. I think that our church as a whole, if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, we are a hardworking church. Even through the pandemic, we have reached more people. I mean, for crying out loud, Easter Sunday, if you combine both the services, we had our second highest attended service in our church's history. We had over 600 people. We had 640 some. And then if you count the people that are online, we probably had over 700 people that were a part of our church on Sunday for Easter. That's incredible. We have reached more people through COVID and we've taken advantage of certain opportunities, um, but we have been affected by COVID, but we are a hardworking church. The thing that, that I really find at times where I feel kind of disconnected and I feel like, um, especially if you've grown up in our church, you've heard about discipleship forever. Am I right? Like everybody's like, yep, I've heard about it like forever. And that's because it's who we are. But I feel like there comes a point in time where we exchange the good things for the best things. And the devil is so good at that. And what I mean by that is that we can get so wrapped up in, yeah, I know I'm supposed to evangelize, so I'm going to evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. I know that I'm supposed to be a good disciple, so I'm going to work, 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 work. And we're so focused on the things that we do as a good disciple that we end up neglecting really some underlying things in our hearts and in our minds where sin really begins to fester. And as we start to do that, we find ourselves either guilting ourselves into, well, I need to witness because I feel bad that I'm not, or I need to be faithful in discipleship because I feel guilty that I'm not, or I know I haven't been at church, so I, 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 I know I need to be there. And so we focus on those activities. But we never really end up dealing with the heart issue of things. And, and I will say that I've been there, and, and I, can, I can be there again. And there are times where I haven't evangelized in a while, and I know that I need to get back into it. And when I get back into it, then I remember the reason why, and it's good. And that can work that way. But I think, I think there's something a little bit deeper. Um, and that's what I want to spend some time talking about before we sing and before we go into our prayer meeting. And that is the why. The why. Now, the why is something that... Um, I think it's incredibly important. I remember when I was leading the junior high, that was a question that I often asked the junior hires quite a bit um, because I really felt that if you can't really dig down, and I, and I have found that digging down really helps with the question why, if you can't really dig down, then eventually all you're doing is just religion and it's going gonna, it's gonna to end. Um, like, yeah, I know I need to read my Bible, but like why? You know what I mean? Like, but why? Like, why should you read your Bible? Well, I know I need to pray, but why? Well, I, I know I need to come to church, but, but like, why? And I, and I think sometimes the best illustration that I was thinking of, and this may not be a good illustration, but it's an illustration nonetheless, is I got uh, this cutting board, sharp knife. Danger. What now? Danger. So I got, I got this bad boy. Oh, it's an onion. Yeah, it's an onion. No. There are some people that eat onions like apples. You do that? You're so weird. Not surprised, though. <laughs> All right. So I look at this, and I, and I look at it as an onion. Have you ever heard the phrase that sometimes you got to peel things back like the layers of an onion? Okay, have you ever tried to peel back layers of an onion? Onion? Yeah. How difficult is it? It's like an ogre. It's like, it's like an ogre. Okay, so when you look at it from the outside... You know, you've got you've got this this part that's just you know it's red, it's flaky, dandruffy, you know whatever. So these are kind of a little bit easier to, to come apart, but then you got to work a little bit harder. And 
like that's not really easy. And then you start to kind of dig down a little bit and you can try to get down to these layers. But you've got to really put some time and effort into it. And then you start to get down to this thicker layer, all right? So this thicker layer is something else. And you can start getting super messy. But as you kind of keep digging down deeper and deeper, it gets harder and harder to kind of get down in there. And you can start to do it a little bit, but it just takes time. And then it gets all messy. And then you start to end up like, you know, just crying, crying especially if you're a wuss. And, you know, I, I don't cry when I cut any of so, but my wife does. Um, <laughs> so you start, like, we're, okay, so this is not the way that you normally peel an onion and you slice it up for cooking, correct? No. Okay, and why is that? They have machines. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've got machines. Yes, there are tools that make it a little bit easier. So when I think about it, all right, okay, all right, I've got that. I'm only like one layer in, like this is the first thick layer and I still got more to go. So when you take a look at this whole thing, it's a whole lot easier if you got your cutting board and you got your knife. Relax, relax, come on. Don't stop being such liberals. All right, so, <laughs> so anyway, so you know, normally they would do it and they would cut it and it cuts right down. And so as you kind of look at it, okay, now I've got several layers here. I got one, two, three, four, five, six. So I got six layers before I get into the middle. So most Christians, if they're left on their own, they can try to start peeling some back, but you get to a certain point where you're just like, this is just ridiculous. But you take this bad boy and you just cut, I mean, that's a piece of cake. Does that remind you of any verse in the Bible? The Bible where two edged sword. Yeah, where's it found? Hebrews 13. Not 13. 4.12. Turn to Hebrews 4. Turn to Hebrews 4. It's a verse that we've we've known for years at our church. Memorized maybe in kids' classes and whatnot. So 4.12, 4.12, and then we also got 4.13 as well, the tax right onto it. So, Leah, why don't you read that one? 12 and 13. 12 and 13? Yeah. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Okay, so it says very specifically that it's the word of God that is quick and powerful. Quick means to make alive, powerful, full of power, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it tells you how sharp it is, and it tells you how powerful it is. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Now, when you get down to it in the human body, and you try to divide the joints from the marrow or the marrow, as it says there, I mean, how difficult is that? Extremely difficult. What do you need in order to do that? Yeah, but even like in medical procedures, like you think about a spinal tap. Yeah, you need a needle, a deep needle, and it's going to go down the back. Remember, because we talked about this with Josie, Josie Blake. She had to have spinal taps every so often because of her cancer, because they would try to take a, take a look at her, her bone marrow and see what the levels are of her white blood cell count and everything. So they would take a sharp needle and they'd have to go into just the right spot and get it right down in and it's extremely painful. I mean, extremely painful to get that needle right in there and then to pull it out. I mean, 
if you don't have marrow in your bones, you're dead. Like you're, you're just, you're dead. <laughs> There's no way. And so when you look at something like this, there is no place in the human body that you can get down deeper and more intimately than the bones and the marrow. There's nowhere. And how about dividing your soul and your spirit? There's a lot of people that struggle with this topic in your, in your Bible because there's some places where the soul and the spirit, it looks like, well, is that the soul or is that the spirit? Well, it says spirit, but it kind of says the soul. But in the Old Testament, it says soul here, but it kind of says the spirit here. It's interesting. They seem to be very closely connected, almost interchangeable at certain points. So it's the Bible that cuts down in between those things. You and I are complicated. We are difficult. We make people cry. <laughs> right? Some more than others. And God wants to get down into the very depths of who you are. And if you don't allow the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the hands of God to cut down through, I mean, it's going to be impossible to get down there. Absolutely impossible. God wants to get down in here. And I feel like some of us at times... You know, we'll let God deal with, like, this layer, this layer, this layer. But go in here, no, that's too painful. I'm not going to let you go there. But God wants to get down in here. Like, He wants to get down in this part. Because even as you look at this, you look here, and this is completely different than in the middle here. You find out there's actually one, two, three, four things that are in the middle right here. You never knew that was even there cutting it right here. So there are things in the midst of you that you don't even have a clue. But if you allow God to do His work with a sharp two-edged sword to get down inside of you, you'll find that there's things deep down that are really holding you back from truly serving God with everything that you have. Truly. And I feel this way about discipleship. Because we talk about discipleship. And it's a good thing. And it's something we all need to participate in. But I think people lose sight of the why. I think they lose sight of why do we do this? I mean, why be a disciple? Why? I want you to answer it. Why? Give me an answer. Why be a disciple? Okay, that could be a reason. But why do you want to get closer to Jesus? Go ahead, Jake. Okay, why? Okay, why do we need to be more like Jesus? Because He created us. Okay, and why did God create us? Because He loves us. Okay, there's multiple. Jake, go ahead. To serve Him. To serve Him. Why? Why should we serve Him? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. Okay. But yeah, but why? Like, why does He love us? Why should we serve Him? Because He wants someone to love Him. Okay, He wants someone to love Him. Okay. Why? Does God need us? No. No. So why why did He do this whole thing? Verse four eleven or uh, Revelation four eleven. Because mm-hmm. we were created for His pleasure, so it's our purpose. He created us. He loves us, but He created us for His pleasure, and it is our purpose. Yeah. So going back to the Bible, sharper than a two-edged sword, we find we cut down through, and we find out why, and that's one of our first verses here under the why is Revelation four eleven. But there's a couple more that I want to take a look at. Why be a disciple? Why disciple? Why be faithfully involved in discipleship? 
Why should you be in your Bible? Why should you be praying? Why should you be ministering? Why should you be involved in your church? Why should you let go of other friends and hold on to certain friends that truly want to walk with God? Why should you serve in vacation Bible school? Why should you go to Mexico? I mean, why, why should you care for the lost? Why? When you, when you really look at it, like, why? This, the why is the most important question you can ask. Because if you can't answer the why, then what you're doing is going to come to an end. Every time. If you, if you can't get down to, I am reading my Bible because, and, and drill down deeper into the why, and you can't really grasp and hold on to something that is true, then you're going to stop reading your Bible. You're going to stop praying. You're going to stop witnessing. You're going to, stop, you're going to lose sight of it. So it gets down to the why. And so here's the reason. And I think, I think, I mean, I'm still learning this myself. God's really working me on this. And I really, but I really think this is it. I really think this is it. If we can grab a hold of this, I think this will change. I mean, this could literally change your life. So why should we do this? It is because it is to create and cultivate true worshipers of God. And that may sound all fluffy and flowery, but I'm not talking about the worship that, you know, is happening at like, you know, mega churches like Faith Family or other churches that just have great music or they have talented singers or talented musicians. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a true worshiper. Go over to John 4. John 4. So we know we're created for God's pleasure, but I want you to see this because in the context of John 4, John chapter 4 is a passage that is uh, very near and dear to my heart after I taught that discipleship class in our church. And there's a reason for it. But I think that, that God puts this little nugget here on purpose because I think this is what the Pharisees were doing. I think the Pharisees were just being religious about what they were doing and they lost sight of the why they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. So in John 4, you got the woman at the well. Woman of the well. Great chapter. Now, she comes out at a time where it wasn't popular. It was not when the women of, of the city would come out. And so you know that she's a woman that is uh, very questionable in her character and the things that she was doing. And then you find out through the course of the conversation that she has actually had you know, five husbands. So she's actually slept with more than one, one man. And Jesus confronts her on it and starts talking to her about it. But there's a reason why Jesus is talking to her. But this woman was someone that no one really talked to. In fact, when the disciples showed back up, they were marveling that he even was talking with this woman. But he says something to her that is very, very important. So... It says in verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, because he talked about these other men that she had been with. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, because she's a Samaritan, which means half Jew, half Gentile. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship, because that's what the Jews say. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, this time in the Bible's context, historically, the worship of God took place in Jerusalem, 100%. It's the Old Testament law. Jesus was alive during the law. You know, he had not died on the cross yet, so you're still under the Old Testament law at this point in time. They worshiped the Father at Jerusalem in the temple. But obviously, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had it all wrong, and Jesus confronted them on every angle. But he says that the hour is coming where people are going to worship him, not in this mountain, which also means, by the way, that God accepted the worship of the Samaritans from the mountain, which is kind of interesting. So, that's just a side note. So, you're not going to worship God in this mountain, and you're not going to worship God in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 22, Ye worship what ye know not, 
or you know, or know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is. Now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now this spirit here is not this Holy Spirit of God because it's a lowercase s. So that means in the spirit of who you are, that part of you that is unique to your identity, but also it handles your emotions and the outpouring of your soul. It's, it's, it's part of who? It's part of your identity. They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And look at this, because there's a colon right after, which means he's expanding on it. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here we see that God is looking for people that will worship Him. And the definition of worship here is not singing, correct? I mean, that was part of it, right? But what else did it involve with the Old Testament law? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. What else? Obedience. Obedience to the law. And when you disobeyed the law, you did certain things in the law in order to make up for those sins, whether it be sacrifices or offerings or if you offended somebody, you went and you made it right. I mean, all sorts of things. So being obedient to the law, that involved with worship. So it's more than just singing. But you see David singing in the Old Testament, like in Psalms, right? You see him with the temple where he, and, and even with the, the tabernacle and everything. I mean, he had musicians. He appointed musicians. He told Solomon. He had all this stuff. So that was part of it. So all these things that they were doing was the outpouring, and this is my point, it's the outpouring of a heart that is worshiping God. Are you with me so far? So, the reason why we disciple is because we're worshipers of God. The reason why we read our Bible is because we're worshipers of God. The reason why we pray is because we're worshiping God from our heart. The reason why we sing the songs we sing is because we're worshiping God. The reason why we serve Him heartily is because we're worshiping God. Your worship is not in the act of singing. It's not in the act of reading. It's not in the act of praying. It's not in the act of evangelism. It's not in the act of leading someone to the Lord. Those are just acts. Those are things that you do outwardly. It's here. It's in here. It's where it comes from. It's your, it's your heart attitude. I've been really been working on this. God's been working on me about this because I, I was reading this book and it gave me an illustration. And it's such a good illustration. When I came into this room, we're going to sing in a minute. When I came into this room, what was the first thing that I did, Jake, when I picked up that instrument? I tuned it. Why? Yeah, because it's out of tune. And if we're going to use it, and we want it to sound good in order to lead us in singing, it's got to be tuned first. Your heart is the very first thing that must be tuned every day and throughout the day in order for you to truly worship and honor God with your life. Do you know how to tune your heart? Do you know how to tune your attitude? Do you know how to submit your will to God's will and tune your life appropriately so that way it's a song that actually is pleasing to the ears of God? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. It's not this other stuff. That is what discipleship is. Because here's the reality behind it. Go to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. God is looking for true worshipers. People that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Go to Ezekiel 22.
All right, Ezekiel 22, and then take a look at verse... Um, All right, take a look at verse 26. Okay, so he's rebuking Israel here, and he says, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So they're doing these things, but it's, it's, it's profane. It's, it's full of, of things that are, just, that are gross in God's economy. He doesn't, he doesn't want it because their heart is not right. Their, their attitude, their heart, their life, it is not tuned properly. So it doesn't matter how much they obey the law, how much they participate in these holy acts, how much that they have done all these sorts of things, it doesn't matter because their heart is not tuned properly. Verse 27, Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening to prey, to shed blood, and to destroy souls, and to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, and divining lies of them, saying, This saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. So he says, he uses this phrase, untempered mortar. So when you take bricks, you can take bricks, and you can start to stack them up, but unless you have mortar between those bricks, what's the bricks going to do? They're just going to fall. And But if you have untempered mortar, which means it's not proven, so mortar is supposed to make these two bricks, they, they're supposed to uh, cleave together through the mortar. So if the mortar is bad, then it doesn't matter how much of the junk you use, you can still push it over. It's not going to do any good. So he says that's what they're doing. They're building this thing that they call the worship of me, but they've done it with untempered mortar. So they put something on it, but it's defiled. There's junk in it. I can't have that. And so then he says in verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed and the stranger wrongfully. And then look at verse 30. Because this is where it comes down to. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God did not want to destroy the nation of Israel. He did not want them to go into captivity. And he was looking for someone that was a true worshiper, that was doing righteously, that was doing right by God, that he could, that he could count on. I mean, to be a person that when God looks out and says, yes, I, you make me happy because it's not about the things you're doing. It's, it's because of who you are. It's because of your heart. And because of that, I can use you. And, and now I can actually go and I can be glorified in you and through your life because God's going to be glorified one way or another. He can be glorified through your obedience because you're doing what's right and your heart is tuned. Or He can be glorified through your destruction. I mean, that's the only two ways this is going to go. I've traveled both paths in my life. And God was glorified through my destruction. And I praise God that He was gracious to me to lead me out of it. And I never want to go back there again. And my flesh wants me to go there. And it's a battle every single day. But God is looking out among you. Among you. And He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman who is able to stand in the gap. In the places where you are. When it comes to your family. When it comes to your schools. When it comes to your friends. When it comes to these little kids at BBS. Like he's wanting someone that is their, their heart is tuned. That they really want to adore God. That they really want to worship God. That they really they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That they are willing to give Him everything. I mean, things have changed in my heart. Even just coming out of Florida. Because... I've been reminded of these things. And so 
I've tried to do the best job that I can every day to tune my heart and to get my mind in its proper place and to say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life today. I want you to be honored. I want you to be magnified. I don't want to be magnified. I want you to be magnified today. And it has been a battle, but I'm telling you, my walk has been so much better since being confronted with some of this stuff because the reality is I get busy doing ministry things and then there's other stuff that just floats under the surface and sin that can fester And it may look okay from the top, but on the inside, it's rotten. It's rotten. Have you ever picked up an apple that looks good on the outside, but then you pick it up and it's all squishy on the inside? It's disgusting. It's gross. Have you ever bit into one and you didn't know? Isn't that phenomenal? (laughs) It's not about the things that you do. So here's the point. It's not about the things that you do. It's about who you are. It's about who you are. And if you could take an honest assessment today, who are you? Not what are you doing, who are you? Now the things that you're doing can lead you to who you are. But could you honestly say that you are a true worshiper? I mean, honestly, could you honestly say that that you are a true worshiper, that you are worshiping God in spirit and truth? That you're working hard to align your heart every day so that you would honor Him in all the things that you're involved in? Or is this all about you and what you want to do on any given day, doing the things that fulfill your wants and your desires? This is a hard thing to be confronted with. And many of you may not have even have traveled down this road before. Maybe because you haven't wanted to or maybe because no one's taking you down this road. But God is seeking true worshipers. That's what he wants. And that can only happen through biblical discipleship. And I wanted to wait until the end to sing the song that we're going to sing because sometimes I feel like we sing these songs and we may like the melody and stuff, but I don't know if it means anything. But if your heart is tuned properly, man, the songs that you sing, it just means something completely different. Completely different. When you open up your Bible, things change. When you talk to God and you actually have a real relationship where you're talking to Him, things change. It changes. You begin to change because you have a a real relationship with God. And I think through some of the COVID junk we've been going through, we've just been going through the motions and we need to retune. We need to retune because we have so many things ahead of us. Like, I am pumped to go to Mexico. I am ecstatic to go to Mexico, but we've got to tune our heart right. We've got to start now. I am pumped about VBS and having these little kids come in here and leading them to the Lord and being able to preach and teach the Bible to them. That is so much fun to do stupid, dumb skits that they'll remember forever. I mean, like I still have kids saying, hey, are you going to be the farmer? And I'm like, man, I stopped being the farmer like three, four years ago, and they're still asking me to do it. But it made an impact. It made an impact on me when I was a kid. And I think about the people that you guys are going to school with, and some of you, this is the last like two months you're going to have with some people. This is it. And some of you, you're like, well, I got next year. Well, I'll tell you what, just talk to some of the seniors, and you'll find out, yeah, this year goes by real fast, way faster, especially with all the stuff that's going on. Time is short. I mean, we talked about this at last camp, but how do you know that God's not going to come back and we're going to be raptured in May? Because I think it's going to happen in the May-June time frame. I don't know what year. I can't tell you that. I'm not going to be one of those kooks. But I know that's what the Bible says. It's springtime. 
And so springtime, beginning of summer, it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to be happening this year. How much time you got? And if we come to that point and we're at summer camp, awesome. So we got another year. Let's make the most of it. These are the things we need to start thinking about because we're hitting the tail end of the school year. And I know for a lot of you guys, even though you're freshmen, senioritis is setting in. That's a little bit of a joke. Um, but the, the reality is, is okay, you know what, fine, have senioritis for the rest of your life. I don't care, but don't have senioritis when it comes to the people that you're around each day, when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to these opportunities that you have with the people in front of you. And I know some of you guys have not taken the step to take your walk with God seriously. And maybe some of you guys aren't even saved yet, that you've just kind of been playing the part because, you know, that's what I've been taught to do my whole life growing up in church. But the point is that God is looking for true worshipers. And as a true worshiper, you're going to be established in the Bible. You're going to have fellowship of, with other believers. You're going to be in a local church. You're going to do the work of the Lord. But if you try to be established in the Bible, fellowship with other believers, in your local church, doing the work of God, and you're not a true worshiper, it's going to come to the end. And I can't get any deeper than that. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. Many people don't understand this, or they do and they just forget about it. But this is the most important thing. So here's what I want to do. Um, we're already past being in there for corporate prayer, so I want you to pray together for um, you know the next 10 minutes. Find somebody, share some prayer requests, talk about some of this stuff. At the end of 10 minutes, I'll let you know when there's only a minute left. We're going to sing a song together, and after we're done singing, we'll pray together, and then we'll be we'll let out. Okay? But really, take opportunity to sit down and to really. Share some prayer requests. Really spend time with God. I mean, really spend time with God in your prayers. And maybe there's some things you need to change as of tomorrow morning. Because that's what happened to me. I was super convicted, and I knew the next morning I had to change. I had to change some stuff. I had to change my attitude. I had to change my heart towards the Lord. I needed to change up my routine because I needed to actually walk better with God. And so that's, uh, that's our lesson for tonight. So let's go ahead and pray really quick. You guys can break up into your groups. And after you're done praying, I'll give you a warning. And then we'll sing a song together, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray, God, that you were honored by the things that we talked about tonight. I pray, God, that you would keep working these things inside of me and uh, keep helping me to have the right perspective. Um, I'm so excited over the next several months with the stuff that we're going to be involved in when it comes to uh, camp and Mexico and VBS and um, ending out the school year. And um, God, I just pray that you would really help us to, to take advantage of this opportunity now to tune our hearts properly so you can be pleased and that we wouldn't just tune them uh, now, but that we would tune them tomorrow morning. We tune in tomorrow afternoon. We tune in tomorrow evening. That we would just recognize when there's things in our life that we're starting to let our flesh gain control. And we would just yield to you and let you tune our heart properly so we can really be true worshipers with each and every day, redeeming the time that you've given us. So we love you, Father. We do thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.